Hello and assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome back to part two of my discussion with Professor Soheb Riaz. Uh, we've had a really great discussion in part one. If you uh, didn't check that out, please feel free to. It's on our Spotify and our YouTube channel. Uh, today, we're going to be uh, discussing, kind of continuing our discussion from, from last week. And we talked a little bit about the value of poetry, your interest in it, as well as uh, extracurricular activity in general and how it kind of informs you and helps you in your normal career, uh, or I should say, overarching career. And I'd like to uh, get back into that, actually. So you mentioned uh, something very interesting. You said that uh, these kinds of things, so for you, it's playing racket sports, uh, poetry, reading it, translating it, uh, these things bring you sanity. And I really liked how you phrased that, because I feel like I relate to that. I just didn't know how to express it. And I don't quite know how to articulate that, because I wouldn't call myself insane. But it's a very, there's such a truth in that, right? Uh, it, it kind of keeps you afloat. Um, would you say that's true for someone who is lucky enough to have, have found work in something that they're passionate about, or who someone who is doing day-to-day -day work in what, what brings them passion in the thing that normal people would consider extracurricular? Does that apply to them as well? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think it does because you know when you when you're working, you could be doing something you're very passionate about. As I am doing these days, you know, I'm trying to work more and more on things that are of interest to me in my research. Also, doing more on South Asia because that's of interest to me. But there is always an external pressure, right? Because when you're trying to do something as part of your professional life, you're plugging in into a professional system uh, where occasionally there will be some stresses and some pressure. But it also made me think, you know, what you just said made me think about uh, another aspect, and this is also very much a South Asian context issue. Sometimes we think on extremes, right? So I, I give an example of how, like many of us are sort of forced into certain careers, engineering, doctor, lawyer, whatever, right? It's all pre-decided. That's one extreme. Then there is another extreme view that you may hear, although it's not generally supported. They may be like, do whatever you want. Right? Follow your passion, follow your interest. I would qualify that. I would modify that a little bit. Right? And this has been sort of my journey in trying to find a career. Sure, think of your interests and think of your passions. Right. That's internal to you. right? But you also have to think, who's going to pay me for this? Right? Unless, of course, you're coming from a feudal family where you pretty much don't really need to work. And that's basically your hobby. Right. right? And maybe, you know, some of us had those kinds of backgrounds earlier. But today, that's not really the approach that you want to have. Right. So I try to think of it like this. Right. So you want to you want to identify what you really are passionate about. Right. So as you said, so what do you enjoy? But you also want to check, am I good at this? Right? You may really be passionate about music, but are you good at it? And then the third thing is, will someone pay you to do it? Because that's a career. Right, exactly. So, so these are the things you want to think about. Now, in my own case, um, I was very interested in literature, but I also knew that it's not going to be a straightforward path of sort of just, you know, reading literature, poetry, stuff like that. And that's not going to become a straightforward career for me. Yeah. So when I shifted from engineering and, you know, during engineering, I, I tried to strength of weak ties that we were talking about in the last episode. You know, I tried to make friends with people who were doing English literature for or who had, mm -hmm. you know, immersion in other arts and so on. 
that helped keep that alive. And when I shifted, you know, I again shifted into a very professional place where, you know, somebody would pay you to do something, which is management MBA, right? And over time, you know, some consulting work in the States and some other work, uh, you know, in India before that, and then into a PhD. And now here's what's happening now. Now, when I craft my research projects, I'm actually able to put these three things together. So I, you know, I try to think of what is really right. interesting to me. So for example, contexts in the global South are very interesting to me, right? So inequality for example, is very interesting to me and I think it's very important. We ignore this a lot in you know, South Asia, although it is in some ways the fundamental problem, right? Economic inequality, social inequality, the way life is structured and hierarchies there. And, and it's, it's something that you don't even think about. It's like a fish in water. You just assume that's how life is. It's not, right? When you come yeah. here, you realize, yeah. no, that's, those are all assumptions that we're just living with. Right? Yep. So I'm very interested in that stuff. And I'm working on qualitative research now, you know, in other ways, narratives and stories around some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. right? But I'm also getting someone to pay me for doing that, right. which, which is the university and, you know, grants that we get for our research and so on. So these are some, some thoughts that, that I would just share based on what you said, you know, passion and careers, you know, right. how, how those two interlink. So the, yeah, and there's a lot there that I really found so useful. Uh, I love that you, yeah, you thought of it on two extremes. I was definitely on that one extreme of do whatever you want, do what you like, which of course I'm grateful for, right? I wasn't restricted, right? But it did lead to me not knowing what I want to do to a great extent, starting to figure it out now. And I'm, uh, I'm still trying to figure out what I should do. <laughs> so, so don't, Let's... and I'm, I'm the previous generation. So, you know, don't feel bad about it. And I, as I said, this is an evolving process. You've got to construct your career path at every mm. step. Yeah. You mentioned that, you mentioned that in the, per the first part. That's very encouraging for sure, uh, at least to me and I'm sure for everyone else. Uh, I like that it's very important for the people who I like to call happiness chasers to hear. Uh, nowadays, I see so much in my age group as well as people just trying to chase after the perfect uh, kind of not work-life balance, but no balance, just just what they're passionate about and be able to do it immediately without any barriers, without any work, without things that they don't want to do. And you mentioned that it is just a natural part of work life and life in general is to have, you're going to be under the external pressure and the structure around your what you're doing. Um, and I feel like people are starting to forget that they think they can just form whatever kind of workplace they want, whatever work dynamic they want, and just do their passion thing. In fact, it took you uh, a while to kind of bring that balance into your life. Right? I mean, is that... this is uh, the way you explained it. I really like that. There's just so many examples. You, know, you look at musicians, yeah. right? And as I said, I used to be interested in Western music and bands, and even now, you know, the global bands and so on. A lot of these bands, once they become successful, they hate their life. Yeah. <laughs> because they have to go on these tours all yeah. the time across yeah. the world and play the same old songs over and over for new audiences. And there's tons of such interviews suggesting they just hate it. Because yep. that's the external pressure, but that's part of their contract and they have to do it. Exactly. Once they're back in the recording studios where they just start playing around with music again as friends, that's where mm -hmm. they start enjoying it too. So I think any work, any career will have both of these parts. 
You've yeah, got sure. to recognize that you are in a world which is not fully in your control. And, and as I said, that metaphor of, you've got to construct your path bit by bit. I just remembered an interesting thing. A friend of mine, you know, many, many years ago had a very interesting approach. Um, he, when we were very early in life, you know, we were looking at jobs and so on. Mm -hmm. careers you're thinking about what to do he would pick up all the job advertisements and start looking at those so i asked him i said what are you doing here right he's like right. look that's the external environment right what what is possible out there that's a starting point i'm going to modify that i'm going to construct something around that I see but maybe i need to be aware that there are these external systems yeah. out there you know what are people paid in these kinds of jobs what are the skills they're looking for yeah. Right. So maybe two years before you graduate, you have a sense of the kinds of skills you should be working on. Right. right? I, I really like this. Uh, you have to understand that it's a part of work life and it means you have to do things that you're not going to necessarily be happy doing or enjoy doing, but it's a part of work. And I like this one quote that I've kind of kept in the back of my mind is, you shouldn't be chasing happiness. You should be chasing meaning in your life. And meaning is not always going to be doing whatever you want. In fact, quite the opposite is you have to do things you don't want to do. And that helps you grow. And that, in fact, puts you yeah. into a meaningful network and makes you a prominent actor in that system. Yeah. 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 And you got to enjoy every step, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the sort of binary or dichotomous thinking that I'm trying to break us out of where we right. think, oh, you choose something and now everything's perfect and yeah. it's done. You instead, there is a path that you are constructing step by step, right? Uh, right? right? So you've got to have this approach that the journey itself is going to have those milestones which are enjoyable, which are part of success. It's not one thing, one decision, one day, and then everything else after that is over. Right, right. Yeah. You've got to build there. Dichotomous thinking. Yeah. And how, like, how would you kind of advise people to, to find those things that they like, for instance, especially students who are not going to get jobs that they want right away? How would you yeah. encourage them to break out of that thinking? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one one example uh, from my own experience. So when I was in engineering, I was doing mechanical and I hated it, right? right? And I was really, really frustrated and maybe even depressed. And uh, luckily yeah. uh, in Aligarh at the time, there was uh, someone as a career counselor, you know, and, and this person actually, he had returned from the States. He had studied in the States. Okay. And I went to him and I explained, you know, what was going on with me. He gave me two books. I still remember the name of those books, right? It's more mm -hmm. than 25, 30 years. Okay. Both of those books were on management because he said, look, if you if you hate engineering, mm -hmm. there are still career paths out there. Let's try a few things. Take mm -hmm. this stuff, read it. I came back, I read it. I was immediately excited because this was more human, right? It was closer to my interests. It was about human motivation. It was about teams. It was about mm -hmm. challenges of you know human beings and so on. Right. Um, find a mentor in other words right? okay yeah talk to people see what they can advise you on don't take all the advice as you hear it 
you know, and have some diversity in in that advice. Right? Uh, try to break out of those um, in-group sort of networks. It's called groupthink as well. Yeah. That yeah, uh, you know, my my valid ye kare, unke bhai bhi ye kare, or unka beta bhi ye kare. Yeah. You know, like pretty much everybody in that in-group is saying, yes, you gotta do this, and so this you gotta is... do this. Right. Step out, go talk to somebody else, somebody who's from a different environment. And as I said, this person was coming from a totally different background. So he he had a very different sense of the world. So that would be, I think, the starting thought. Mm-hmm. But I will add another thing to this. Try to cultivate your own self-awareness and self-reflection. In my life, I found that becoming my own coach is probably the best thing that I can do for myself. Mentors, other coaches, they're going to be helpful, but it's mm-hmm. all useless if you are not your own coach. And mm-hmm. to be your own coach, you have to be a bit reflective about yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example. So in, anything that's happening to you, stop and ask yourself, how do I feel about this? How do I feel at this moment? Why do I feel this way? What is stopping me? Right? What can I change? Uh, these again, you know, these are from a more management sort of background uh, yeah. in, in how to build your own own personality but many of us don't do this right right i would say even you know i develop these things very late in life we we don't take time out for introspection another friend of mine um, at one point he gave me this brilliant idea and he was in a very busy career and very, just like incredibly busy life he said he takes out one to two hours every week just for self-reflection Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was really impressed. And I tried that and I was like, yeah, because you cannot structure that time into your regular life. So much is happening. So you say, well, you know, Sunday, 4 to 5 p.m. when there's nothing else happening, I'm just going to sit down and think about what's happening to me. Keep a journal for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? I keep a journal for, for myself, you know, with multiple open pages all the time. Right? Uh, basically, it's all in the cloud. I have these notes for everything that's happening in my life. Right? And yeah. this is something, as I said, you know, I learned this approach from, from friends and I sort of modified it for myself and mm-hmm. uh, I find that really useful. Yeah. So that's something you can do. You start writing a little bit okay. about, you know, what am I feeling? What's going on? What should I do next? Where will I be in two years? Right? What do I know about this? Okay. In the act of putting it down, you will become more self-reflective, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you will become, you know, that's that's my takeaway that I, I give to most people that become your own coach. Yeah. That's what will make you your own coach because you're going to look at that stuff three months later and say damn Mm -hmm. this is how i was thinking and maybe here's what i need to change so that that's you coaching yourself and then telling yourself maybe i'm going to look at something different i'm going to come back and check it three months later yeah that's very, it's such an inspiring thing, such a useful thing to to tell people. From what you were saying, uh, I'm just going to, each one could be discussed on its own, but just kind of condensing it all. So much of it is inspired by kind of ancient, you know, subcontinent, Indian, South Asian teachings uh, in tradition, in religion, uh, like find a mentor and then self-reflect, meditate, uh, kind of discipline yourself, ask yourself questions. These are all things that are were at least part of our culture and they may not be now i don't think uh, but they i feel like it is part of who we are and on some level it almost makes it easier for us to to associate with and to practice is there ways for us 
as South Asians, Pakistanis, Indians, all South Asians to introduce this to this new environment that we find ourselves in, to encourage others around us to do the same thing because it's such a huge part of our heritage. Yeah, I think I like it. I like the way that you you've connected it to you know more ancient cultures from the Indian subcontinent. But I would say we need it more than anyone. Because I think I think we have truly lost these things. My own experience is when I'm in that part of the world is that it's a much more chaotic culture. It is it is almost too instinctive for my taste at this point. People speak without thinking. People do things without thinking. There's very little reflection. You know, you talk about some things with one person you expect this would be happening next year and it's not they're in a totally confused and chaotic life yeah. and you're like what happened to that and they'll be like, like oh i don't even remember that we had this conversation so i think we need all this more today right. than anyone else another thing that i noticed you know in my profile you probably noticed that i you know i started doing some yoga at some point and uh, now here's the interesting thing when when we were being made to do yoga in school in india i didn't like it at all because to me something that was traditional more culturally rooted was something that i was just not interested right i was maybe more interested in listening to pink floyd right mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. you know that's just that's just the way things happen at that yeah. i discovered yoga in the us in boston mm-hmm. yeah. because the way they were able to simplify it for me and and a lot of people don't like that but i think it's still it's still doing a service because not everybody wants to go into you know the very deep aspects of it you know for for a lot of people the benefits are pretty clear from just the most basic simplified easy to understand aspects of it so i would say what's mm-hmm. happened is that a lot of these things that we may have had other parts of the world uh, in their intellectual capacity have already discovered this and they're probably doing it better than us so we need it more for ourselves that <laughs> that would be my view that's funny that's why because it's like you would say yoga came from india uh and now you would say that we needed the most we as essentially indians south asians needed needed so much uh yeah. and the people we, we, who... we have become the kind of people who mm. who will talk about it and you know make grandiose claims and say you know we're just great people because we're coming from this culture but we'll never actually do it yeah and we'll never actually do it in a self reflective manner to you know really understand what are our shortcomings you know all of that stuff is gone yeah yeah so absolutely. i don't know why and i don't know what happened there. Right well it's a question worth asking uh, very difficult to answer but i feel like it also speaks so much to the sentiment that immigrants have uh, at least in my experience what my relatives have had what i've had is rediscovering the the religion that they were brought up with after yeah. they move becoming closer with it after they are away from where they learned it from i don't i don't practice that much i notice when i'm in pakistan i just it just i don't know the environment is not conducive to that but when i'm here i am able to practice my own religion in a much better way than uh than i am there i forget namaz bhul jata hu ya you know whatever really uh and yeah, I mean, so... these these are interesting observations i think these are these are very individual journeys but uh, i would i would agree with you that when you take a fresh look at some of this stuff right mm-hmm. i mean certainly we should uh, respect you know where we are coming from those cultures mm-hmm. traditions all that but i think we also need to take a fresh look at that okay. and and think about it in terms of are we really understanding the stuff yeah. are we actually doing some of the stuff mm-hmm. the way it was supposed to are we mm-hmm. capturing the essence or are we more interested in grandiose posturing that you know 
we are the best. Yeah. Right. And that sometimes, honestly speaking, that comes from a place of insecurity, uh, you know, and, and there's research on this, you know, and I'm a social scientist, so I cannot avoid talking. So there is research that shows awesome. that this is part of part of the problem. Right. So globalization, for example, is making a lot of these cultures and countries more, quote unquote, nationalistic, because now they have encountered what's happening in other parts of the world. And there's a sense of insecurity. I see. Right? And does that bleed into uh like immigrants who are within these countries now, because I would say, in my experience, I've seen that nationalism embedded in that insecurity, especially for sure in my friends here who are Pakistani and uh, even Indian. Does that also lead in to that as well, to immigrants coming here, feeling that insecurity in this new place? Uh, I, I think, I mean, this is not my own experience, but I think Yes, there is uh, there is some evidence to show yeah. that this is happening. I have anecdotal evidence for it, for sure. So right, and so that, kind, but you know, that, you know that also ties into the discussion we were having last time about getting locked into your own bubble and and you know just having those reinforcing views over and over, kind of like what happens on social media, and that's become a huge problem where people are just not willing to listen to the other perspective, and uh, you know that's that's a bit of a problem. And so I, I would say you want to reassess everything you've brought with you and keep things certainly, but maybe keep them with a bit of a fresh perspective. And think think about why they were useful, why they were valued, what's the objective. Um, I just I don't see that happening really well in in South Asia anymore. Yeah, self criticism. Yeah, there's people are very insecure. There's a very mm-hmm. very sharp reaction to any sort of. Uh, criticism, complex understanding of issues. And again, I will say this because, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a management scholar, which is basically a social science, understanding the complexity of issues. And this is sort of part of my research as well, uh, that I find that this is also something we lack. We we tend to oversimplify and, and we are unaware of our own biases and maybe opening out and broadening perspectives, going to different talks, listening yeah. to other ways of thinking can can help us reassess our own ideas that mm-hmm. we had. Relating to what you said last time, unlearning. Uh, and yep. I feel that's, that's one another form of unlearning is deliberate self-criticizing unlearning. It's very difficult to do. You know, you're talking right. of immigrants. You can look at some of us who immigrated here. You know, there may be some two or three generations and they're still continuing those practices of discrimination and inequality and so on, despite being uprooted from South Asia for so long. I see. Yeah. I mean, this is the reality. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, no I just, exa- yeah. And I, I see it so much. Uh, I mean, the tendencies come up in myself as well as such a, as a Pakistani male, I feel like, but also just, you know, I, I do see it as well. And it's, yeah, it can be a problem. Um, I guess my question really there would be, so what would you say are some ways in which we can break out of that thinking? Uh, and what does, of course, someone can go to a different talk and someone can talk to different people and they can still 
think the same thing and still be locked in this mindset of no no this is I the way I think is you know totally fine because this is how I was raised what is that link between being exposed to something different and then the change it makes in your internal mind that is I would say more necessary yeah it's hard I mean it's a great question it's really hard to do I think maybe a combination of those external influences where you're really respecting what other people are saying or thinking from a different Mm -hmm. perspective that along with as i said some time for self-reflection why are we doing what we are doing right and this can span any level of your life right it could be the most practical aspect of career why or you know course why am i writing this essay instead of that one it can start there and it can go much much deeper into the things that you talked about into Mm -hmm. you know why are we following certain ways of living certain rituals certain things Mm -hmm. uh what is the essence let me re-understand this and so on so yeah i think it's a mix you got to build some self-reflective abilities yeah which are very hard very hard definitely and it just requires constant practice right you won't get it the first time you try it uh but it's a matter of doing it all the time like you said do it once uh, one hour a week uh you're yeah uh, you step out of the bubble yeah that you're in so you get some insights uh, that are different and then you have some some of your own time for reflection right Mm -hmm. now having said that you know, you you want to keep things that you really love from, uh, you know, where you're coming from. I started the discussion with an anecdote on food and I maybe mm-hmm. uh, want to end it on the same note. Like we yeah. live in Ottawa. I've been trying to find good Nehari here for the <laughs> last four years that I've been yeah. here. I can't find it. And I'm willing to drive four hours to Mississauga just to go to one of those places, uh-huh. get that Nehari, have it, and then drive back four hours, drive. right? I mean, th- those, are, those are things that I'm not That's willing to question or give up yes Uh, and that's such a great yeah different thinking about it is so many things should not be left behind yeah should not be you know ignored Uh, of course there are vital parts of our identity I talked about this on uh, on the previous on our first episode as well is parts of our identity they may even be lost actually we may tend to lose our taste for Pakistani food Desi food Desi Khana whatever yeah and the same thing for literature and so on and that's my journey into Urdu poetry more and more right the further away I went the more I started realizing it's value and I actually ended up reading people who have done translations really well who have, who have uh, studied it as almost like a you know discipline and through that I got a renewed understanding of yeah. what's going on and more appreciation well and that's that's perfect because as such a well-read person a concluding note maybe could be and I can share this with our listeners as well is uh, what do you recommend in terms of reading uh, for instance in in Urdu or translations in English what are books poets that you would recommend uh students read or south asians in general or anyone in general read yeah it's i mean it's a great question but a tough one to answer i think i wouldn't like to put sort of that boundary for any individual sure. because you know what may resonate with you at your stage and your age and your mm-hmm. life it may be very different depending on you know where you are but i would say initially discover 
go on a process of discovery and try to see what clicks. And if you like something, read more by that person and read more and more. And there you, there you will understand a style. Like, you know, as I gradually got into John Elia, you know, I think over 10 years now, I'm almost at a point where I can sort of hear something or read something by him. And I would be able to try it. Like I, mostly I can guess, I'll be like, this has to be John Elia. Right. Like, nobody else could say it this way. Yeah. So, so I would, yeah, that's, that's what I would leave you with. But there's, there's great resources online available now, which in my time True. were, were not available uh, true yeah so taking advantage discover, of discover yeah discover yeah. that mm-hmm. create a group talk about this mm-hmm. have fun okay. with it and that's that's mm-hmm. what those things are going to save you when everything else in your life is going on right yeah when i feel like i'm only beginning to to start realizing that of course as i move forward and I, i'm sure so many of our listeners will be able to identify with that so uh I think that was a great concluding note. Uh, We could keep talking about so much, but for this installment, at least, thank you so much, Professor, for uh, joining us. We really appreciated you coming, uh, sharing your perspectives. I think I took a lot from this discussion and I really hope our listeners did as well. If you haven't listened to part one, uh, everyone, please uh, do. Thank you so much, uh, Professor, again, for joining us. Thank uh, you, Mikhail, and thank you to all your team and, you know, that wider group of people who are the audience for making this possible. I really enjoyed it. What a, what a great initiative, and I wish you all the best with it. Thank you so much. That, that means a lot, and hope to see you uh, and talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.